Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. I got a really big kick recently from an online discussion. This was at the site askmetafilter.com, where people were talking about socially acceptable ways to express negative opinions to people. I'm talking about those backhanded phrases like, oh, how nice for you. (laughs) Or, hmm, let me know how that turns out. Mm -hmm. You know, as Mm -hmm. growing up as a child of the South, I used to hear all the time and used to use all the time sort of the mother of all backhanded phrases, which, as you know, Grant, is uh, Mm -hmm. bless her heart, bless your heart. I mean, you can get away with saying anything if you just add bless your heart to it. You know, she's gained so much weight since that last baby, bless her heart. And almost all of these expressions have something in them where they could be read both ways. So if you don't want to believe that the other person meant you ill will, you can just let yourself go along merrily, right? Oh, exactly. I might say, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And, and, I, and you might believe that I actually think it's interesting rather than just like passing you off. Right, right. So it's sort of this social contract almost. How nice for you. Yeah, I love that one. And the other one I learned when I was a teenage babysitter was – Oh, yes, Mrs. Jones, your children were as good as they could be. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I have a colleague who I won't mention who um, has the bare minimum of politeness in a single expression, and, she, and she'll go, huh. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's it. You know, you know, I, I don't. There's no. There's no language there, really. I got to assume that that was just uh, an expression of interest, right? I don't know. Yeah. Well, we should we should link to this on our website because I don't know. I was just laughing the whole way through. Partly because I've been on either side of it. You know, I've used those expressions and I've um, been the recipient of them. So, do you have a favorite socially acceptable way to express a negative opinion? Let us know or call us about any kind of language sayings and. Idioms, slang, and dialects, or speaking and writing well, that number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, this is David in Glen Arbor, Michigan. I have a question for you. All right. My secretary was fixing to go on vacation a few weeks ago, and there were a couple projects we needed to get done, so I... Ask her as she was packing everything up if I just had free reign to do whatever I wanted to do vis-a-vis digging around in her desk. And she, of course, said no, she'd kill me if I touched her desk. (laughs) But we began to wonder about the phrase free reign. And if she had been willing to grant me free reign, what she would have granted? Like R-E-I-N, that you'd give a horse? Or R E I G N, the uh, emperor would take. <laughs> He'd be um, the king of the desk, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, somebody else said they really actually thought it was R A I N, referring. They thought it was from out in the Dakotas or the Great Plains or someplace, referring to just you know rain um, falling. Oh, wow, that's creative. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, there was one other suggestion, which was from uh, sort of a corruption of free range with a G, and somewhere the G dropped out of it. We vetoed that. We didn't think that was a very good Uh suggestion. But nevertheless, 
If she had, in fact, been willing to grant me free reign, what would she have given me? It sounds like you work in a really fun place. Yeah, well, we're nuts. But um, uh-huh. it's obviously, uh, we survived her vacation, and nobody touched her desk. Uh-huh. Oh, right. good, yeah. good. Business really? is still operating as usual. <laughs> yeah. You've got the right answer in there somewhere, and it's 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 the first one, isn't it, Martha? Yeah, yeah. Free reign, as in horses. It's horses. Yeah, because yeah, if you give them free reign, you're you're letting go, and you're letting the horse have its head and do what it wants and go where it goes at the speed that it wants. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's R E I N. And David, David, have you guys heard around your office the story of the king and the wild animals? Can I tell this one really quickly if you haven't? Oh, well, I have not. Okay. So there was this king, and he loved wild animals. He loved all kinds of game, deer, pheasant, little wild bunnies. And he collected them and collected them and collected them. And for a while, his subjects tolerated this, but it got really smelly in the castle because he kept collecting all these wild animals. Okay. Do you see where I'm going here? (laughs) (laughs) And so his loyal subjects finally became disloyal, and they forced the king to abdicate because of all these animals. And this was the first time in history that the rain was called on account of game. Oh, terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Seriously, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe you want to tell that around the office. It sounds like it fits. Right, it fits. It would be the second choice. That'd be the one with the G. (laughs) I think this is the first time I ever broke a rib from groaning. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They sounded like the kind of colleagues who would enjoy that kind of stuff. Probably, they no doubt will. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) So anyway. Uh, free reign has to do with horses and not with kings and emperors. There you go. Okay. Now we know. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, but that's how a lot of questions come to us, right? Uh, just you say something, it comes out of your mouth, and you're like, whoa, wait a second. I've never really thought about what's coming out of my mouth. What really does that mean? Where does it come from? Is it okay to say it? And, and you know, what's the history behind that? Hmm. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You got a big stumper, a question, a puzzle, something about language that just mystifies you, just a, ah, I've always wanted to know kind of question. Let us know, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Megan Bordeaux. I'm calling from San Diego, California. Well, welcome to the program, Megan. How can we help you? I have a question. My father always used to say, if he had to park his car really far away from the destination that he was going to, he would say, I had to park the car in the back 40. And I was wondering what the back 40 meant. Where does that come from? Uh-huh. Was it the back 40 parking places or, or what? Yeah, I'm just curious. Where does that come from? Got some ideas for you. Okay. Um, have you ever heard it used uh, in the expression 40 acres in a mule? No, I've never heard that. Because the 40 is 40 acres. And I'm looking here at an entry from the Dictionary of American Regional English, and there's a couple different senses. And this one, I think, is pretty close to what you're talking about here. A remote, large, but often arid or barren piece of land. But it's figurative, meaning it might be more or less than 40 acres, but use 40 as kind of like an approximation of the size of it. Okay. Um, so, so the back 40, it's like the other acreage, like behind the house or behind the main lot or behind the main road or something like that. Why right. 40? Because 40 acres was a common division of land, a quarter of a quarter section or 16 hectares. And so a lot of times when you would just divvy up a big old chunk of land, let's say you know in the 1800s when the American 
West was still being settled, you might just like draw the line so there are 40 acre lots one after the other. And you might buy one or two or three or four of these, you know. And a lot of times you'd get them situated on a major river or other water course so that you'd have water for your crops and your cattle, right? And so you would literally have one lot that was kind of like the front lot, and the other one was the back lot, and that's your back 40. Wow. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's just sort of a figurative expression that's been handed down from an old unit of measurement. Wow. Cool. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks for calling with that question. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Take yeah. care. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, the 40 acres in a mule grant was uh, the compensation that was supposed to be awarded to freed African-American slaves, right, after the Civil War. That's right. And it sort of became emblematic of uh, failures in Reconstruction, right, because not everybody got 40 acres in a mule. Yeah, yeah, there was no way to really enforce that. It was uh, one of those uh, things that sounded great, but to get somebody to pay off on that might have took a lot of effort and maybe more more gumption than um, people had. If somebody says something that leaves you puzzled, call us, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Sam calling San Diego. Hi, Sam. You're calling from I San Diego and not Mars? You, s- <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you're in a space capsule. I'm in a semi. You're in a semi. All right. So you're battling white line fever by thinking about language, and what would you like to talk with us about? Well, a few weeks ago I heard you mention that nobody really knows where the middle finger insult came from, and I had thought that it was related to the British two-finger insult, and I was curious if you had any words on that. Ah, the British two-finger insult meaning the peace sign turned backwards, right? Basically, yeah. There's a story that it started with the English archers insulting the French because supposedly the French would chop off the English archers' fingers during the Hundred Years' War. Mm-hmm. And, and where did you hear uh, that story? I first heard it on a historical novel by Bernard Cornwell. And then I've done some research and found out it's a very common myth, but no one's been able to prove it. Uh-huh. Yeah, myth being the operative word here, right? That's what I read. There's a great debunking of that story at Snopes.com, S-N-O-P-E-S.com. Snopes is the, the long-running site on the Internet where every little bit of um, nonsense that the world produces is um, either proven or disproven. And they've done a really good job of taking the story apart, basically saying there's no reason they would ever take the fingers off of archers because they would want to ransom those archers. And you can't, you'll never get ransom money for an archer that you've captured if you're taking off his bow fingers. But weren't most archers peasants and then therefore unransomable? There's no historical record of it. The historical right, record that of that I did uh, find that, out. That's the thing is there's no historical record of um, uh, widespread, you know, defingering of bowmen and archers in order to somehow punish them or stop them from fighting fighting again. Um, it just there's no uh-huh. record of it at all. And besides which, there's another thing happening here. The middle finger when extended looks like the male genitals and that's what's happening in there you're basically it's the same as like flashing your bits to somebody in a, as a way of offending them i mean i don't know mm-hmm. how to put that any more delicately it's just you know it's the physical resemblance of one right. part of the body to a particularly male part of the body you know and nobody wants to see that except your special ones right that's very interesting because i've often heard that the british two-finger they will often insert the thumb between the two fingers 
Oh, possible. That's creating the same effect. Well, that's that's the fig in in um, in medieval Italian literature. Dante talks about about that that gesture. People making ah. that gesture. I, mean, I wouldn't know. I'm not often on the receiving end of any of them. So, <laughs> well, Sam, I guess being you don't cut people off in traffic and get that, do you? I do my best not to, I but bet. unfortunately, I have been given it once or twice. Oh, I see. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's hard to trace the history of gestures, but I think we can cross the Archer story off. The yeah, list. the Archer story. Forget about the Archer story. That whole Archer thing. The forget the whole thing. It's not the origin of anything, except a lot of radio time that, that's needed to debunk it. That's all. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. That was very. But 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 thank you so much for giving us a ring, sir. Yeah. Keep your hands on the wheel. <laughs> thank you. All, all right, right, Sam. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, gestures are kind of a language, aren't they? A little bit of semiotics there on the radio. If you've got something you want to ask us about, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Next on Away With Words, it's a word puzzle and more of your questions about language. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And joining us now from New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. How are you guys? Hi, John. Doing What's well? cooking with you, man? I think it's never too early to start researching schools for the kinder. So Jenny and I have been looking at high schools for Max and Jesse. Can you believe it? Now, wait a minute. They're, How old are they? Three and five. Okay. Now, there are uh, arts high schools and technical high schools, but, you know, I've got to say, in this age of specialization, it's weird to see all the niche high schools out there. For example, there's a school out there for kids who are just interested in pumping gasoline. It's called, can you guess what it's called? Ethel High? No, it's called Octane High. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) You can perhaps tell me what sort of school focuses on the study of millinery? High hat. Hat high. Hat high, that's right. They study fedoras and stuff. And they have a heck of a band. You should see the drummer go. Very good. (laughs) All all of these have two ways of looking at them, all these schools. That's why we go on the tours. Now, here's descriptions of a few more high schools. Here's the first. There's one high school that's similar to Octane High, but the only thing they teach is how to change a car tire. Um... Wow. Come on, Grant. You drive a car now. All the examples were easy. Right. Well, there are very few things having to do with changing a car tire. Maybe you can think of them, the main one. Oh, hi, Jack. Jack, hi. Jack, hi, right. Oh, Jack, hi. Okay. Yeah, try, try to give it blank high for the first thing. I think it sounds funnier. But that's just me. Right. Here's the next one. I'm sure you two are familiar with this high school that turns out most of the nation's lexicographers. Um, I don't know. Gee, hi. You, you think I'd know? This yeah. is like tailored to me. Probability <laughs> high. Your alma mater. Really? Well, well, what thing? Let's see. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing about this. How this about falutin high? Falutin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one special thing about the school. They have a really good AV club. What words can you think of having to do with words, especially dictionaries? What is wrong with us, Grant? I, I, don't, I have no idea. Lexicon high. Um, I don't know. Okay, entry what, high. On. What do you think gloss, of when you think High of, gloss? Gloss wh- high? No. What do you think oh. of when you, when you think of dictionaries? Gloss. Paycheck? 
<laughs> you guys um, got to come around. The thumb holder, the little thumb things. You guys got to come around the other end of the dictionary sometime and look, just read the thing for crying out loud. <laughs> I'm looking for definition high. Oh, definition. Definition. High. Oh, oh, that oh, has to do with words. Oh, oh terrible. AV club. High definition. Uh, never mind. Okay. Oh, my gosh. All right, here, how about this one? How about the school whose core curriculum is mostly about gardening? Uh, yield high. Um, oh, that's good. Um, no, that's pretty good, but uh, not what I was looking for. Um, gardening. Your Think course? of tools to do, to do with gardening. Oh, ho high, ho high! They have a, a disproportionate amount of uh, dwarves in uh, in ho high. I don't know. Very good. Yes, I immediately ruled out this one high school located in a spooky haunted mansion. They study phantoms, ghosts, and apparitions. So we said no thanks. Ooh, I don't know. This is this is a tough one. Phantoms, ghosts, and apparitions. Yes. Oh, spirits high. Spirits oh. high. Yes, very good. <laughs> their pep rallies are amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, their their policies regarding alcohol are pretty lax, though. So that's why the pep rallies are so fun. <laughs> that's right. Another school we rejected has only one famous graduate, Benedict Arnold. Uh, treason high. Treason high. Yes, very Ooh, good. Very good. Nice. Good. I have to say, though, that I wouldn't mind Jesse someday, someday attending this school that teaches kids about investing and other money, monetary matters. Yield oh, high. return high. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good. Though I would have said that that was a school about, about uh, recidivists. But um... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so high return or, I mean, return high or yield high? No. No? No, m- much more broadly, uh, money matters. Um, finance high? Oh, finance, finance high. high. That's finance it. High. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if Jesse attended this school. The focus is on oceanography, specifically the changing depths of marine and estuarine and currents. Tide high? Tide high. Tide Very high. good. Another school among the more useful ones, this school churns out future electricians. Voltage high. Voltage, Voltage high. high. Very good. That actually might be a really good school. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I would. Mine? The rest of these, eh, I don't know, but that one, Not yeah. so much, yeah. But, you know, I think we've got a winner here. This is a super exclusive school. There's only one teacher, but she's the best in the world. They only have two students in the whole place, and they only attend class for one day. Seems they are not interested in quantity. Instead, they are... Concentration high? <laughs> Quality high? Quality high. Quality high, right. I, think I thought you were going to say, I thought we were going to say homeschooling. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mom plus two kids? They'll be the best poet philosophers you ever met. That's right. And they'll know something about puzzles, I hope. Though this might not be any indication of, of, of my teaching skills at puzzles no, and quizzes. This, this was fun. But, Actually, it was a good mix of stumpers and, and easy ones. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you liked it. I liked it, too. Thanks, guys. John, thanks for coming. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for entertaining us. My pleasure. If you want to talk about words and how we use them, by all means, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good afternoon. This is Moya phoning from Vermont. Hello, Moya. Welcome. Welcome Thank to the program. You. Thank you. Well, I have a question. This is in relation to wedding invitations. When my parents issued my wedding invitation, granted 38 years ago, it read, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so request the pleasure of your company at the marriage of their daughter, Frances Moya, with 
Lutzius Dominic. Now, the invitations I've received since from Europe or Australia are still mainly with the preposition with. But I have noticed also the preposition to. And I was wondering, is one correct and one incorrect, or are both equally acceptable? Hmm. I see. And why do you want to know? Are you getting married again? No, I'm not. My son is. Ah, your son is. So yes. have these invitations been printed yet? No, they haven't. And if, they, if I find out that the bride, his future wife's parents have already printed them and they are not as I think they should be, I will keep my mouth shut. Uh-huh. Ah, ah, good start there. But if they there. haven't been printed, then I will suggest one over the other or leave it up to them if both are equally acceptable. I see, Moya. Okay, and is the bride's family from this country? Yes, uh-huh. and so is my son. He's a genuine Yankee. Okay. Ah, I see, and, and you're, you are British of some sort, yes? Well, I was born in England and grew up in Sydney, Australia. Uh, okay. I see. Well, I would have to say that in this country... I've always seen it as the marriage to or the wedding to. Grant, what about you? Yeah, same here. And doing some looking around online just now while, while you were chatting, I, I find that consistently the case, even in etiquette guides as far back as 100 years ago, that was the recommended wording in the U.S. Okay, well, perhaps then it's a European influence. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like Spanish. It sounds like a literal translation of, of Spanish or French. No, because I also have a dear friend who married the chief of protocol, um, who they're now retired. And um, she's English, he's German, but when their daughter got married about five years ago, the wedding invitation, because I looked it up, also had with. And now, they do find it in etiquette guides for Indians, uh, for South Asians, and they tend to prefer the with as well. Oh, how interesting. So that might suggest that there's a, a nice little linguistic division that you've yes, discovered yes, there between yes. the... North American usage and the rest of the, you know, say, the Commonwealth countries, perhaps. Yes, because this also happens a lot, um, you know, in everyday English here. I mean, mm-hmm. pronun- with pronunciation and with also the use of adverbs. Certainly. I've noticed that you more and more leave the L-Y off an adverb, uh. unfortunately. <laughs> you know, and they sort of say, he did it beautiful instead of beautifully. Right, you know. think different. Yes, right. so anyway... Well, thank you very much. So in your, as far as you're concerned, it is basically in America, the uh, preposition to is more commonly used. Yes, but here's the thing. If you, if, if you wanted to go ahead and use with, I think you would be fine. You might get some people to argue with you, but I think either one works. There's a question here that you ask yourself, who is doing what to whom or who is doing what with whom? If it sounds ah. like Jane is more important than Joe or Joe is more important than Jane, sometimes the, somehow the with to me kind of makes it sound like they're equal partners in this. Whereas if you say uh, the marriage of their daughter Jane to Joe, it sounds as if he's the passive participant and she's the active participant. Would you agree with my other son's um, PhD girlfriend, who said that the word with, in her opinion, was more egalitarian. Um, Yeah, I could could hear that. Yes. So, um, well, anyway, I've taken enough of your time. Thank you very much. Well, it's our pleasure, for sure. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, this is Kenny from Brookings, Oregon, 
I was wondering if uh, you could tell me the origin of the term graveyard shift. This is the overnight shift, like the third shift, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So um, why are you asking? Well, uh, I work for a mortuary out here. Uh-huh. Wait, what are was... the chances? Really? <laughs> really, yes. You work for a mortuary and, uh, on the graveyard shift? Uh, well, I was originally hired for uh, graveyard shift, 7 at night to 7 in the morning, and it only took a few days, and I was on call 24-7. Kenny, I have to take the opportunity here because we don't get to talk with somebody every day who who does the graveyard shift at a mortuary. Uh, what do you do? Um, well, I I started out actually doing just removals from accident scenes, uh, natural causes, whatnot. Uh-huh. And it moved into cremation work, um, very little clerical work, working funerals memorial services. Hmm. So, so back to the original topic, you're asking about graveyard shift. You just kind of want to know why it's called that, right? Yes. I mean, I, I can only speculate where it first came from, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, well, I think it's just the idea of those still dark hours when everybody else is asleep as people are in a cemetery. Figuratively. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's basically those those hours of the night when it's just you and the dead and the seemingly dead, right? Um, it's the darkest time of the 24-hour clock. It's not that uh, it started in cemeteries or mortuaries. It didn't start with grave diggers or anything like that. It's just always – it started out as figurative from the very beginning. You can find it more than 100 years ago, so the expression's been around for a while. Uh, miners used it in the 1890s, I know, but probably earlier than that still. Yeah, see, I, I figured it was probably something to do with the, the, you know, maybe the grave diggers used to do all their work at night so they wouldn't disturb other people or I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's just it's more to do with the darkness and the quiet of the time. So a graveyard is a graveyard is kind of a, a, a dark, quiet place uh, or can be at night, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm thinking about the, the origin of the word cemeteries from Greek uh, meaning to put to sleep. I think it's related uh-huh. to words yeah. having to do with beds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's that's the idea. Just everybody else is is there still as people in a cemetery. Will that do you, Kenny? That'll do me. Yeah. Thanks, Kenny. All right. Thank you for your help. All, All right. right. Take, take bye care, bye. Bye. The question as you spooked, call us one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio dot org. Martha, I have a riddle for you. Okay, bring it on. This is from a Scots Etymological Dictionary. They have riddles? They have riddles. I'm not going to read it in a Scots accent, but here it goes, mm. okay? Okay. Bonnie Kitty Brawny, she stands at the wall. Give her milk, give her a little, she licks up it all. Give her stones, she'll not eat them, and water shall die. Come tell me now that Bonnie riddle. What mm. is the answer? What am I talking about? Okay, well, if if it dies with water, then it maybe it's flamed? Is it yeah, burning? Yes, it's fire. Exactly uh, right. The answer to the riddle is fire. But kitty, bonnie, kitty, brawn? Brawn is strong. Brawny means oh, strong. Oh, uh-huh. oh, oh, bonnie, kitty. But kitty? Bonnie means pretty and kitty. Okay. I, that's, that's the riddle. Because, you know, in a riddle, you say one thing is something it's not. Well, I figured it was either fire or the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> no, it's older than that. Okay. <laughs> 
that's nice. I always love those Scottish etymological riddles <laughs> that you bring to me. Share now. your Scots etymological <laughs> riddles with us. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Lou Jane. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I have a question about the phrase brown as a berry. It's a phrase that my grandmother used a lot when I was growing up in Colorado. And then when I used it once with my husband when I was in Milwaukee, he kind of looked at me funny because I said he had never heard the expression. And then we were uh, listening to the radio uh, sometime later, and it was when we were back in Colorado, and there was a song that used the phrase brown as a berry. So I quickly pointed it out to him that it wasn't just my grandmother, but uh, I didn't get the name of the song, and so I was just wondering uh, if it's regional, if it's old, or if it's still in use, anything. Oh, well, your second uh, hypothesis there is accurate. It's really old, isn't it, Grant? Yeah, yeah. It goes back to at least uh, 1400 or so. You can find it in the writing of Geoffrey Chaucer. And he used it pretty much the same way that we use it today to mean that somebody is um, dark or dusky or tan. Uh, we often use it in reference to people, interestingly enough, and not so much anything else. We always talk about the skin or appearance of somebody. Um, sometimes you might use it to mean somebody who is dark-complected overall is brown as a berry. It's old. It's widespread. It's uh, th- used throughout the English-speaking world. As a matter of fact, Lou Jane, it's so common, it's in lists of cliches to avoid in a lot of different writing manuals. There's this whole class of book that says that you should avoid using it in your writing because it's it's trite and, and, and overused. Um, That's interesting. The question that usually comes up, and you didn't ask it, but I think I'm going to ask it for you and answer it, is why brown? Most berries aren't brown, are they? Right. Yeah, I think of red and blue. We think of fresh berries, but what about Mm -hmm. a dried berry? They're brownish, right? And even more than that, the grain of wheat and barley has sometimes been known as the berry. And there was a time when you might call a potato a berry. Mm-hmm. So, of course, potatoes are brown. So there are a lot of things that have been called berries that aren't the raspberries or strawberries or blueberries that we might think of today, that certain class of brightly colorful, very sweet fruit. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't usually hear red as a berry or blue as a berry. Do you? Well, you know, William Sapphire, may he rest in peace, William Sapphire, uh, in one of his books, wrote that he thinks that the reason that brown as a berry has survived is simply because of alliteration. Because you've got the B and the B. It's just easy to say, and it comes off the tongue very easily. What do you think about that, Lou Jane? Oh, I think that you've answered the question wonderfully. Well, Grant usually does. Hi, marks all around. Thank you so much, <laughs> Lou Jane. You're welcome. Okay, thanks for calling. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Call us if you have a question about language, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Or if you just can't wait to chat with fellow word lovers, stop by our discussion forum. You'll find that at waywardradio.org slash discussion. He's brown as a berry from right in the prairie, and he sings with an old western 
Coming up on Away With Words, sure, Ken Jennings is a Jeopardy! champion, but the real question is, how will he do on our slang quiz? Stick around. Support for Away With Words comes from Park Manor Suites, San Diego's historic old world-style hotel next to beautiful Balboa Park. Park Manor Suites in the center of it all. ParkManorSuites.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And who better to play the Away With Words slang game than our contestant today? I mean, really, this guy's been dubbed the Michael Jordan of trivia, the Seabiscuit of geekdom. And in 2004, his six-month run on the TV quiz show Jeopardy! set all kinds of records. He continues his puzzling today on the Game Show Network. Ken Jennings, welcome to Away With Words. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Ken, you're the most celebrated champion that Jeopardy's ever had, but what makes you think you're going to do well on the Away With Words slang quiz? Uh, frankly, I think I will do terribly. I do this kind of thing to stay humble. Ah, oh, okay. excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, Ken, I'd like you to meet Grant. He's a real humble guy. Oh, sure, yeah, sure I am. I'm very <laughs> humble. Ken, nice to meet you, buddy. Hi, Grant. And before we get started, Ken, I always have to ask, do you have a favorite slang term you'd like to share with us? I had to think a lot about this. My least favorite slang term is cougar. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but my favorite took a lot more work. But I finally realized what I really like is like diner waitress slang of the 1930s. Nice. So, so like saying Adam and Eve on a raft instead of poached eggs on toast or something. Like that is my kind of slang. Very nice. Lots of color, right? Well, Ken, let's see how you do on our slang quiz. Um, what I'm going to do is give you a clue that uses an unusual word or expression, and then I'll give you three possible meanings for that word. Only one of them, of course, is correct. And not that you'll need help, but if you do, Martha will be standing by, and the two of you can try to puzzle it through, all right? I'm really humble, too. <laughs> I, I will probably need the help. That sounds great. <laughs> okay, here we I go. Doubt it. <laughs> a few years ago, William Buckley wrote in the New York Sun that the Brummagem moral fanfare imposed on the controversy reminds one of the desperation with which losers will attempt to cope with disappointment at the polls. What does Brummagem mean? B R U M M A G E M. And again, that sentence is the Brummagem moral fanfare. <laughs> is it A, rustic, country, or rural? Is it B, worthless, fake, or sham? Or is it C, repellent, sickening, or repulsive? Brummagem is the word, B-R-U-M-M-A-G-E-M. See, this is tough. I mean, I like that I don't have to answer in the form of a question, but I don't like that <laughs> I've never heard this word before. <laughs> oh, my um, gosh. Let me see, Brummagem. I like I, thought- I like the sound of it. I'm starting to think it has rummage in the middle, you know? Like, it has rummage sort of hidden in it. Sure it does. Mm-hmm. Um, it has mage hidden in the middle, so give all your 20-sided <laughs> dice and guess. <laughs> but um, just based on the sound of it, sort of the rummagey sound of it, I, I, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of leaning B here. Uh, what was that, a fake or junkie? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, worthless, fake, or a sham. Should, yeah, I, that's should, it. I, should I not? Should I not take a guess, or should I guess? You think? Guessing is totally fine. We're not Sherlock Holmes. We won't chastise you for guessing. I, I am no expert on your game. Okay, I will guess B. How about that? Yeah, it's great. It's exactly right. Brummagem uh, means great. worthless, uh, fictitious, sham. It's probably a corruption of Birmingham, as in England, where it is said that many cheap trinkets and jewelry used to be made. So Brummagem, it's an interesting word, and you'll, you'll still find Brummagem used today in newspapers kind of as a joking way to refer to Birmingham and the people who live there. 
I am going to start using a Brummagem on a daily basis. It's a good one. Work, it's a good one. To work it into my vocabulary. <laughs> All right. Try this one. This one you may already know, but we'll see. We'll see. 18th century farmer Randall Burroughs, who died in 1799, includes this passage about men he hired to work his fields. He wrote, They seem to make slow progress. At night they refused to eat the pluck of the pig, alleging it did not agree with them. This I considered an idle excuse and resolved to consider it an unreasonable daintiness. Why, my question for you, Ken, is why would Burroughs think it an unreasonable daintiness to not eat the pluck of the pig? What is the pluck of the pig? A, is it the heart, liver, and lungs? Is it B, the feet and ankles? Or is it C, the boiled whiskers off its hide? <laughs> Wow, that's great. I think I am definitely eating at the wrong, like, Southeast Asian restaurant. Um, I have never been offered the pluck of a pig. I think it might be more a southern restaurant, but okay. <laughs> um, like, just as a, as a non-pluck eater, like, I'm sort of, uh, like, as a layman, I'm sort of leaning C, because it seems like you might pluck off the whiskers. But then again, that's crazy talk, because you can't eat a pig's whiskers. Like, even I know that. It's just hair. <laughs> It's kind of like fairy um, dust, right? <laughs> exactly. Really exist. Uh, so, well, I mean, even if, they, even if they exist, I don't really know if, like, we ever eat animal hair in any form, do we? I can't think of an example. So the choices, again, are A, the heart, liver, and lungs, B, the feet and ankles, or C, the boiled whiskers off a pig's hide. Which of these is the pluck of a pig? Well, look, I've gotten, like, hundreds of questions wrong on national TV, so I have no ego about looking like an idiot. Um, okay, okay. I'm, ju- I'm just going to guess... Uh, uh, feet. How about that? B feet. Unfortunately, the pluck of the pig is the heart, liver, and lungs. And oh. here, listen to this. Listen to this. If I said that you had pluck, I would say that you've got a lot of guts, that you have the stomach for whatever we're about to undertake. Right? That is where ah. we get plucky from. Because ah. yeah. So um, it is. I don't know why it's called the pluck. My only theory is that it, it, it all comes out at once when you're gutting an animal. I have no idea. But but we do use pluck um, in a way that's very disconnected from this incredibly biological sense, don't we? He's got a lot of pluck. He's got a heck of a liver and lungs. You've got a great set of lungs. I guess that's, that's sort of a trouble uh, if people understand that literally. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you're one for two here. Let's see how you do on number three. Are you ready? Okay. I'm going to pull this out. I've, I've got faith. I, I you're going to pluck is- it out. I think this one might be easier, but we'll, we'll see. English abounds with multiple meanings for many of its words. Which of these is another meaning for daylight? Is it A, the space left in a wine glass between the liquor and the brim? Is it B, a coconut that is not yet ripe enough to fall to the ground? Or is it C, in the Orkney Islands, the 12 days between Christmas and Three Kings Day? Wow. Um, it seems to me like uh, the wine thing would make more sense, you know, because there actually would be some space in the glass for, uh, for light to shine through between the, uh, the wine and the brim. And also it would be more like the colloquial thing where we say, uh, oh, he's got a little daylight here, he's got a room to maneuver, you know, like a Right, like a about NASCAR, NASCAR or drivers or football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that would be my guess. You're right on it. You're right on it. I just want to say, just it's A, the space left in a wine glass between the liquor and the brim. Uh, the, there was an old toast that I found in an old book that goes like this. When people were drinking bumpers, 
bumper is a cup or glass that's brimming with alcohol, like right to the top. The Toastmaster would call out, are the glasses full? No daylights, no heel taps, tops and bottoms, not so much as would blind a midge's eye is to be left. In other words, he wanted to make sure that people were going to have full glasses to start with and then drink it all. A, a heel tap is a small amount of alcohol that's left in the bottom of a glass after drinking, which is another expression. So. Uh, you got two out of three. Fantastic. Thank you so much for playing with us, Ken. That was, that was, it was great a real fun. pleasure. Thanks, thanks for teaching me something I didn't know. That's, that's I, always a nice way to spend it. You know, it. I'm going to have to be even harder about it next time. <laughs> I thought I was really going to pull these all out, but you, you did really well there. Thank you so much. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for playing, Ken. You can find out more about Ken Jennings and his new book at ken-jennings.com. And if you want to try to stump us with a question about any aspect of language, email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Lori from Connecticut. Hiya, Lori. What's Hi, going Lori. on? Hi. Oh, I'm so excited to be talking to you. I've been waiting for October, holding on to this question since I discovered your program last week. <laughs> ah, <spring>. okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so you so. want to ask about Columbus Day or what? Uh, actually, about Halloween. Ah, Okay. Well, it's actually the night before Halloween, you know, when kids usually run through the neighborhood, TPing trees and putting shaving cream on your windows, tipping over trash cans. Mm-hmm. Never done any of that. No, 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 of course not. <laughs> well, the kids in my neighborhood always called it Goosey Night, and it wasn't until I went off to college that I knew people called it Mischief Night. So I'm just sort of wondering if that's a, a regional thing for where I grew up. Goosey Night. Goosey Night. I know. It, it sounds very odd now that I think about it. And what did you do on Goosey Night? I mean, what, what was... <laughs> what did well, the other kids do on Goosey Night? What did the night? other kids do on <laughs> Goosey Night? Did they go around and goose each other? or? Uh, no, there's no connection to goose or geese that, that I remember. You know, it was just you'd run around sort of, you know, creating mischief, you know, throwing toilet paper, um, you know, uh ringing doorbells and running away, that sort of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, this is this is a puzzle. It's a really, really localized term, isn't it, Grant? Yeah, it is, although there's one little exception I'll talk about in just a minute. Okay. okay. Well, um, I'm looking at the Dictionary of American Regional English, which mentions Passaic County and portions of Bergen, Morris, and Essex County, and not much more than that, not yep. much more than uh, central northern New Jersey. Yep, Bergen County. That's where I grew up. Aha! So the mystery here is why is it called Goosey Night? And I don't know that anybody knows, but I will <laughs> tell you that that there have been so many different names for this kind of mischief. I mean, <laughs> this kind of mischief is not limited to New Jersey. I've seen <laughs> Cabbage Night is, is another one that I've seen. Oh. Where people would leave skunk cabbages on people's doorsteps, and those are really stinky if you if you cut them open. Um, what else is there, Grant? Uh, mischief well, Night. Uh, well, the Devil Night or Devil's Night. Mm-hmm. In in Detroit, yeah. I, I knew some guy who used to put a thumbtack on his doorbell oh. <laughs> covered with <laughs> tape on Devil's Night. Yeah, because these kids would always be ringing in the, the doorbell. Well, here's another name for it, and this is from Yorkshire in, in the United Kingdom or in England, and known as Miggy Night, M-I-G-G-Y, Miggy. But also, according to a book by Tom Holman called A Yorkshire Miscellany, they also called it Goosey Night in Yorkshire. Ooh. So there's a little bit of a clue there. It's the only other use of Miggy, or Goosey Night that I can find outside of uh, anything attributed to New Jersey. I'll be darned. Yeah. Do you I, think I, those arose independently? 
or do you think there's a connection? I, there there's a lot got of... to be a connection there, and I don't know. I don't know what it would be. What's really interesting is this term just seems to pop up in the '70s, right? Oh, yeah. We don't find a lot of use of it before then. So you're pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I was an infant when I used this term. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> you were talking at a very early age. Right. right? No, it's probably older than that, but there's it's hard to find it in the printed record. Well, it's it's such an odd night because I'm looking again online and there's beggar's night, corn night, uh, mystery night, picket night, tic-tac night. And um, hmm. I guess people need names for mischief, huh? Yeah, because it's part of the holiday, right? Halloween itself has become a little sterile, and so you want something. Uh, uh, if you can't find real spooks, be the spook yourself, right? <laughs> well, Lori, thanks for this. Maybe we'll hear from other people who participate in Goosey Nights. Oh, thank you. Okay, All right, sure super thing. duper. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, what did you call that kind of mischief in your part of the country? Call us or call us about something else, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or send an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is uh, Tony Pillow. I am calling from Linden, Wisconsin today. All right. Well, what's on your mind? Um, I had a question, I guess, uh, as refers to a phrase that I've heard, actually a couple of phrases, but I'm really wondering what the underlying meaning is. Um, the phrase I'm referring to is when you uh, refer to someone or ask someone uh, uh, or tell someone, actually, that they have a large head or a swollen head or they're getting a, a big head. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that phrase, I have a uh, very close friend of mine who is a, a French native, and she has a similar term. Um, she said to me once, you're getting awful thick ankles or awful large ankles. So I'm thinking, you know, to myself, I'm wondering, uh, there's almost got to be a connection between these two phrases, and, and neither one of them really makes sense from a vocabulary sense to me, and I was wondering if maybe uh, you could shed some light on, on what this phrase might you know, refer to. Okay, so Tony, sometimes you're being told that you have a big head, and sometimes you're being told that you have swollen ankles? That is correct, yes. I have been uh, I have been accused of that. <laughs> <laughs> Did she accuse you in French or in, in English of having swollen ankles? It was in English, yes. When she's really mad, I don't understand a word she says. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> well, let's take these one at a time. To have a big head really is kind of a, just a, a literal – it's a literal expression to mean that you, uh, you're you full of yourself. Your head is swollen because you think that you're so important. It's this whole idea that you have this – the brain, the seat of your personality and your character and everything that you are is engorged with pride or engorged with <laughs> – Right? I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Gorgeous. Okay. Pride. No, the idea, I mean, it's it's a, it's a pretty literal metaphor, idiom. Um, and you'll find that we have a number of different expressions in English which say the same thing. You are too big for your britches. Or you might say that you're too big for your boots. Um, it's all the same sentiments. The idea that you are, you believe that you're beyond the size or the abilities of normal people. You know, somehow you're you're more important. You're larger than them, you know. Um, and, of course, it works the same way in French. And the French expression is something like um, avoir les chevilles qui en flanc, um, which is to have ankles that are swollen. But why um, ankles? I think that's Tony's question, right? Well, it's kind yeah. of the same. Well, it, it's an idiom, you know, and I say this again and again, but idioms, it's, if you start breaking idioms down and look for some kind of truth to them, you're almost always going to come up defeated because they're, they tend to be opaque. But the idea here is that you, you're just big in a place that you shouldn't be big. 
Oh, well, know? that makes sense. But these idioms are great. I mean, you know, all hat and no cattle, talking about somebody It's who's... kind of like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you have a swollen head or a swelled head, right? And the French have the same thing. They, they also talk about having a swollen head, to avoir la grosse tête or avoir la tête enflée. Um, it's the same same story here. Um, they even have the, the ankle thing is so embedded idiomatically in French that you don't even have to say the full form of it. You could just say something like, ça va les chevilles. Um, when somebody says something that when they say something that sounds really self-important, you say, ça va les chevilles. Um, like, how are the ankles going? You know, how are your ankles yeah. doing? Did she say that to you, too? Uh, that one I haven't heard yet. <laughs> What's well, really interesting here about all of this is that I don't think it's the body part that matters so much. It's just the idea that you somehow, some way, you're, you're, you're puffed up, you know. Sure. Yeah. You're inflated. In any case, yeah. uh, thanks so much for giving us a call, Tony. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I All appreciate right. it, guys. Take All care. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Do you have a close friend who speaks another language and you need someone to mediate? Give us a call, one 929 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. I know what you're going to say, Martha, when I tell you that I was reading a Scottish etymological dictionary. But I found a word in there I didn't know, and I thought I'd share it with you. It's a, it's a quirklum. Guess what a quirklum is? Q-U-I-R-K-L-U-M, quirklum. Quirklum. Oh, I love it, whatever it is. It's the cousin to a riddlum. <laughs> well, a riddlum is just a riddle. And a quirklum is kind of a riddle, but it's more of those puzzles, those word puzzles where you have to pay attention because the answer is in the wording, you know? So so here's the one. Here's a typical quirklum. At the ball yesterday, there were three score and three fiddlers, and each fiddler had 20 dancers. How many dancers were there? Oh, wow. This means I have to do math on the radio? What's the answer? No, because it's three score. Because the answer is right there, and what people start to do is they do the math, and they multiply the right. fiddlers times the three score, and they come up with a number that's way too large. <laughs> and so, and, and, and as the answer in this dictionary has it, nay, put a wee stop after three score. <laughs> so the worst <laughs> Scots accent in the history of the world. Thank you. I thought it was Thank you very good. much. I like that. Anyway, that's Quirklum. a quirklum. I love it. Share your quirklums with us. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Support for Away With Words comes from National University. Change your future today. Find out how at nu.edu. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. Call 1-877-929-9673. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Or drop by Away With Words online. You can chat with fellow word lovers by going to waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Thanks to Howard Gelman for engineering our show from the studios of KQED Radio. Happy trails. Adios. Hi, Martha here. You know what? Without your help, Away With Words would just be away. Think about it. And then after you finish shuddering at that very thought, go to waywardradio.org and click on that link at the top. You'll feel better instantly and your contributions fully tax deductible. Thanks.